Well, good morning, everybody. If you have your Bibles, grab those and turn to Matthew chapter 13. In fact, there's a couple of things I want you to grab right now. Uh, if you did not get some communion elements on your way in, we're going to take that at the end of the sermon. Um, and so now is your invitation to go ahead and get up and uh, grab those. I won't look at you funny because uh, you're going to need those at the conclusion of the sermon. So make sure you have uh, some of that. Uh, I'm really, I'm gonna, I wanted to start this morning with a note of gratitude. Uh, I'm, it's been a month since we've been together, so I'm really, really thankful today. And I think it should be for obvious reasons. I don't need to say it, but I'll go ahead and say it. I'm thankful that Lafayette Avenue is open this morning, all right? Um, that's wor- that joke worked in both services. It's rare with the t- different, different graphics that it works in both services. But um, I'm actually thankful that you're here today. Um, and I'm thankful for anybody who's joining us online. And so it's just good. It's really good to be in the house of the Lord together and with the body of Christ together. And so um, I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and then we'll get this sermon going. Father, we are so thankful uh, for just for the opportunity to be here. Uh, we're so thankful for uh, everybody who's, who's joined us in this room um, and everybody who's joined us online. And we just pray that you would, uh, you would meet us there, God. You would meet us here. You'd meet us in living rooms. You'd meet us all around uh, this city and this county. As we turn and look at your word now, that you would help keep distractions at bay. Um, God, that you would be the one who convicts, you would be the one who teaches and encourages, and uh, that you would get the glory from all this. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I also like to start this morning just by giving the kids an extra special welcome. Um, uh, We know that uh, everything's different, uh, but that's kind of the theme for 2020, and so we're glad that you're here with us as well. No pressure, no expectations, parents. Uh, Just enjoy this time with us. Uh, This morning, I want to talk about how uh, sometimes things that seem small, uh, seem insignificant, can have really big impact. Uh, My junior year of college, um, I decided I was going to go on a spring break trip uh, with some of my friends from my dorm, and I'd never been on a spring break trip before, and I was excited about getting out of uh, the Indiana winter, because uh, Andy Wesleyan spring break was always in February for some reason. I don't think they know what the word spring means, but uh, we're going to get south down to Florida, and we're going to be a little south of Sarasota, and so we map quested it, which immediately dates me, and you see how old I am that we had to map quest something, um, and they said it was going to be about a 20, 21-hour drive from our dorm to just south of Sarasota, so that was a major bummer, right? None of us look forward to that, but uh, my parents, Mike and Marla Parks, agreed to let us have their uh, late 80s Chevy van, so at least we're going to look really cool going down, right? So um, we left our dorm room, and in order to get to Interstate 69 uh, there in, in Marion, Indiana, and head start heading south, you got to go through a little town called Gas City, Indiana. Um, if you've never heard of Gas City in, in Indiana, you're along with everyone else who's never heard of Gas City, Indiana. Uh, I think... I've, I've driven through it hundreds of times now just because where my college was. I think it's called Gas City because there's a gas station there. I haven't found anything else there, right? And so, like, oh, let's just call it Gas City. And so, it's got one two-lane highway that goes through it. That's it. No, no, no even side streets even. And so, you just get through that, then you can get to the exit and head on the interstate. So, we leave our dorm, and we get to Gas City. And I stress again, there's nothing there, and we get stopped, because an oversized load semi-tractor trailer has tipped over, is blocking the highway, emergency crews come behind us, and we are literally trapped and cannot go anywhere. So we're about three to five minutes from our dorm, and we don't move for 90 minutes. Not the way you want to start a 20-hour trip, right? And I, was, I just kept s- sitting there thinking, like, really, Gas City? 
Like I thought maybe a, a traffic jam in Indianapolis or something, but, but Gas City is going to hold us up. This small nothing town, and, and then it's got this big impact, and it gets better. All right, so we get to Cloverdale and switch my car for that awesome sweet van, and we take off two hours later than we expected. And so that night around 9.15, I was driving through a really rural area of Kentucky, one of those places in the interstate that you, you don't even see lights. You're like, is electricity out there? You know? And about that time, um, smoke and steam just started pouring out of the van engine and up in front of the windshield where I couldn't even see where we were going. And I was like, this isn't good. And as the Lord would have it, there was an exit right there. And so I immediately got off the interstate and there was one gas station, the exit. And so I pull in the gas station and this guy comes walking out of the convenience store as we're pulling in and he can immediately see there's something really, really wrong here. And so he walks up and says, y'all need some help? And I'm like, yeah, we're a bunch of college kids. We have no idea what we're doing. None of us know how to work on cars. And he says this, well, I'm actually a mechanic. Uh, I live about five minutes from here. I think you can get there. And I'm like, okay, what do you guys think? Should we go get murdered or should we stay here and get murdered, right? Those, that seemed like our two options. And so we're like, well, if we go there, at least if we don't get murdered, the car will get fixed. And so I said, sure, we'll follow you. And so we went down these really rural uh, roads in Kentucky, ended up on a gravel road, and then we ended up in this guy's barn. And sure enough, he's got a bunch of tools. He goes to work in the van. He fixes the radiator, a couple of the things. It takes him less than an hour, and he says, you're good to go, and only charges us 15 bucks. And I was like, this is incredible. And we were getting ready to leave. I said, hey, by the way, what, just out of curiosity, why were you at the gas station night? And he's like, well, I ran out of Mountain Dew. And I was like, I knew that glorious nectar from the heavens would someday save my life, right? And, I, and so we were down, heading down the road, and I thought, I thought about this. Like, what if, what would have happened if we had just rolled through Gas City like every other time I just rolled through Gas City without a hesitation? What if that guy wanted a Mountain Dew at 845 instead of 915? Right? All these seemingly small, insignificant events all pulled together. You can't convince me that God wasn't looking out for us that day. Right? Now, have you ever questioned why something was happening to you in the moment? Or have you ever wanted something to happen to you and you're questioning, like, why, it, why isn't this coming for me? I, I'm waiting for this. I want this. I'm longing for this. Why isn't this happening? Well, that's a stupid question because, of course, you have. You're a human being. Every one of us have wanted those things. In fact, if we're honest, you've probably done it recently, maybe even this morning. And Jesus is going to tell a story today in Matthew 13 that represents his kingdom. And in it, what he's going to remind us is this, that we don't always see what God is up to. And even when we do, we have a propensity as human beings to wrongly label it as small or insignificant. But God does not put his hands to insignificant work. So what he's doing is always bigger than we realize. And so I'm going to invite Jeff McIntosh forward to read uh, today's passage. He's a little hobbled, so I'm not going to make him come up these steps, right? Uh, but if you're physically capable, would you please stand uh, with Jeff for the reading of God's Word this morning? It's going to be Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 and 32. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for not letting me walk up there. Yeah. Appreciate it. Uh, page 868 in the Bible's in front of us, uh, starting in verse 31. He represented, or he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky can come and nest in its branches. All right, thank you, Jeff. You guys have a seat. 
So this is known as the parable of the mustard seed. It's one of Jesus' shortest parables. Uh, it's one of the most succinct. Um, you've probably heard it before, but we're going to spend some time on it today because, as you know, it's Christmas time, and this is the famous Christmas passage, right? So uh, the first truth I want to pull from this is an obvious one, but I think it's one that we need to sit in for a minute, and it's this, that Jesus in this parable likens his kingdom to a mustard seed. Now, the reason I want you to sit there for a minute in that is because uh, Jesus is teaching in an age and and culture that can be described as the ancient East, right? And in the ancient East, the mustard seed in sort of folklore and conversations and and tales, it symbolized something small and insignificant. And so if you want to represent something small and insignificant, you would use the the, the model, the, the, the example of a mustard seed, which is interesting to me. Right? Because Jesus here in Matthew 13 equates a mustard seed to the kingdom of heaven. And the reason that's interesting to me is this. The kingdom of heaven is not small and insignificant. It's a huge deal. There's a big part of Jesus' purpose in coming was to establish God's kingdom. This kingdom that includes his church right, that we're a part of today. And that Jesus says not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church. His his kingdom includes God's sovereign rule over everything, and his kingdom will culminate with with literally everything existing in full submission to God, which means there's nothing that the kingdom of heaven won't touch, and there's nothing the kingdom of heaven won't impact. So why in the world would Jesus choose a mustard seed, something known to be small and insignificant in his culture and day, and refer to his kingdom as such as that? Well, I'm going to argue that it's because Jesus knows mustard seeds don't stay small very long. We're in this four-week window, right, where we have four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, traditionally a season known as Advent. And during this time, uh, liturgical churches will always uh, focus on four themes of Advent, of love and hope and peace and joy. And Brandon did a really good job last week of looking at those and unpacking those for us. And we aren't liturgical around here. Uh, We just never have been. Uh, I hope that's okay with you. Uh, But in light of this year, uh, we were praying about it, and we just felt like it was worth, that this year of all years, it was worth us taking the time to sort of just sink into Advent this year. Just take the time as a church to look at hope, to look at peace, to look at joy leading up to Christmas. And today, so what I'm going to talk about today is just the hope of the kingdom of heaven. Because as Jesus makes reference to here in Matthew 13, hope can be hard to see sometimes. Hope can be hard to identify, but it doesn't make it any less significant. It doesn't make it any less impactful because if you give God enough time, hope will be undeniable. Right, second truth I want to lay before you this morning is simply this, that we rarely know what God is up to. You understand that, don't you? I hope, I hope you are fully aware that you rarely know what God is up to because there are some exciting times in following Jesus. And We've all experienced these, we all remember these, we all cherish these. These times where it feels like God like, pulls back the curtain just enough for us to see how pieces of the divine plan fall into place. It's like these light bulb moments like, oh, that's what he was up to, right? That's why God allowed that season in my life. That's, that's why he allowed us to endure that time of suffering because this is what he was up to. It's, it's, we often see this on the other side of the valley, what God was doing all along. And those times are important because they build our faith. Those times increased our trust in God and they give us opportunities to tell of his faithfulness. And so they're, they're incredibly important times for us as followers of Jesus, but I want you to know even those times, right, we only know one one thousandth of what he was actually doing. We don't have the full picture, not even close. 
You see, to the human eye, a mustard seed is so small, it's almost invisible. You almost can't see it with just the human eye. But that's not how God ever sees it. Because God knows all along the tree it will be. And there's so much that God does outside of our view. There's so much that God does in the heavenly realms. There's so much that, that God does on planes that we don't operate on and we don't think on and we don't exist on. And so we often miss the vast majority of what he's doing. And the worst part is when we see what he's doing, we have this tendency to dismiss it sometimes as small and minor and insignificant because we don't see how all the pieces fall together. What Jesus is telling us here in Matthew 13 is this. The seed is in the ground. And once the seed's in the ground, it's just a matter of time. Now, this isn't a new phenomenon, right? Humans have never at any point in history known what God is up to, never. And so what we do in response to that is we get worked up over all kinds of things that we think are huge deals while often missing the biggest ones. So, for example, let's take the first Christmas. About 2,000 years ago, there was a Roman emperor named Caesar Augustus who issued a decree that a census should be taken. Not a big deal, right? Well, why did he do this? Because he wanted more tax revenue. So politicians haven't changed in 2,000 years, all right? But what this decree did was throw the entire Roman Empire into chaos. Okay, because when this decree for a census goes out, everyone is traveling all at the same time. Because everyone would have to go to their town of ancestry to register so that the Roman Empire could understand how many citizens they have, and how much taxes they should be paying. And so travel was incredibly difficult. So you had, you had massive families and groups traveling through desert and mountainous terrain, and, and, and sometimes days at time, and your big reward, right? The big prize at the end wasn't a vacation. It wasn't resting and relaxation. Your big prize for all this travel was you, once you got there, you get to register and pay more taxes. Congratulations, Right? So the whole empire is just sort of at, at a really high, tensious point. At this time of history, right, the Jewish people themselves existed in what I would call a, a state of chronic unrest because there was strife everywhere in their lives. They had uh, consistent racial strife, harsh, harsh tensions with their neighboring Samaritans and Gentiles. There was all kinds of political strife as they existed under the thumb of Rome's harsh rule. There was economic strife. They would have to pay taxes to Rome and then pay taxes to King Herod and then pay their temple tax. And so it would take a significant amount of effort just to make ends meet. They're under spiritual strife. They, were, they, they existed under the burdensome rule of spiritual leaders who were supposed to serve them but only served for their own selfish gain. And add on top of that, it had literally been centuries since anyone's heard from God. The last prophet to speak before Jesus' birth was 400 years. Now, certainly all this while, they are anticipating and waiting the Messiah. But let's be honest, with all that pressure and with all those demands, nobody knew about a baby being born in Bethlehem. And if anybody had, nobody would have cared. But God had made his move. And as Jesus put it later, the seed was in the ground. The angel Gabriel pays Zechariah a visit and does the same for Mary and Joseph. And then the time comes for Jesus to be born. An angel shows up again to make an announcement to shepherds of all people. Shepherds working the night shift because they don't even own the sheep. Speaking of insignificant, it's hard to find a more perfect picture of insignificant than them. But the announcement 
that was made was anything but insignificant. Luke chapter 2 verse 10 says this, where the angel said to them, do, do not be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah and the Lord. Listen, we rarely see what God is up to. But no matter to him, he just keeps working. Because the seed is in the ground. As Jesus tells us here in verse 32, the seed doesn't stop growing. Look at verse 32 of Matthew 13 again. Jesus says, it's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Have you ever noticed how much God seems to enjoy the creative process? You know, it seems to be, that, as revealed in his word, it seems to be God's character that he takes pleasure in, in taking time to do things that he could do in an instant. Right? And, and when it comes to creation, he took his time. When it comes to us human beings, he could create us in an instant. And the Bible says that he knits us together in our mother's womb. Do you know in sanctification, right, he, he could change your heart today fully and completely. And yet he allows us to go through this lifelong grace-fueled process of becoming more and more like him. He likes taking his time. And Jesus here in Matthew 13, speaking about the kingdom that he's establishing, admits, hey, guess what, guys? Doesn't look like much at first. Right? There's a baby and a manger next to no fanfare. There's an announcement to a handful of shepherds. A small handful of people that you could count on less than two hands would notice for most for most, life just went on. Just went on like nothing had happened because there were more taxes to pay, more decrees to be declared, more politics to happen, more demands and more needs. And 30 years later, Jesus is still teaching and it still doesn't look like much. He's traveling around with, uh, with his group in an area no bigger than one-twelfth the size of Michigan. It's all the farther he went. He's traveling with 12 disciples who would have never impressed anyone. They would never be their first choice. Listen again to the message of the parable. The seed is in the ground. Game's over. It's just a matter of time from here because God does not do insignificant. But you think back to those three titles given to Jesus on the night of his birth. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah and the Lord. The first title he's given on the night of his birth is Savior. God knew our greatest need. He knew that our greatest need as a human race wasn't a political ruler. It wasn't self-improvement. It wasn't education. It wasn't medicine. Our greatest need was literally to be saved. There's something that we need saved from. Right? Because God knows we exist under the curse of sin. And all sin knows how to do is kill. Sin kills. It kills our connection to God. It kills our relationships with each other. It kills our soul and eventually kills our bodies. And so what we needed as a human race is we needed someone who could live the sinless life that we cannot because we're under the curse of sin. We need someone who could then pay the price for sins that we can't pay because when we die, we're only paying the price for our sins. We need someone who could face and defeat death that we cannot face and defeat because every other human who dies stays dead. I don't know if you noticed that. And we needed someone who could save us from sin and death and the hell that was guaranteed us, and that's what Jesus did. Might have looked small in the manger, but if he did not come, he could have never been our savior. An angel called the shot the night of his birth. The savior is here. He's not just the savior, he's Messiah. Right, from Genesis chapter three on, the promised one had been foretold 
That there will be a child come to ransom his people, to deliver them and redeem them. So what lay in that manger in Bethlehem, as insignificant as the scene appeared, was the one on whom all the hopes of Israel rode. What lay in the manger was the promised child, God himself in human form, which leads to the third and final title. He is the Lord. You understand it's that last one that makes the mystery of Advent so powerful. That laying there, not just in human form, but think about this. As an infant was the Lord of all the universe. The one Colossians 1 tells us is the visible image of the invisible God. The one who by his power was still holding all things together. The one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things had been created. And this act of startling humility and unquenchable love and unsearchable grace, he subjected himself to our form, even the form of an infant. But he never gave up his lordship. And whether anybody noticed or not, and by the way, most didn't, it wasn't just the world that changed that day. It was all, all of eternity because what was birthed was not just a promised Messiah. What was birthed is a hope that was untouchable. I'm going to argue this morning that we find ourselves in a very similar state to the Jewish people at the time of Jesus' birth. We exist in a world of constant racial strife. We exist in a world of political strife or maybe you haven't watched the news in the last 20 years. We exist in a world of economic strife, especially this year. The press of the pandemic has strained what were once strong towers that we could lean on. It has brought division in families. It's brought division in churches. It's brought division in all kinds of places about how we should handle this. And at the same time, we are, as the people of God, anticipating and excitedly awaiting Jesus' return. Because make no mistake about it, he is coming again. Let's be honest, right? That with all the press... And all the demands of life and all the worries and all the headlines and all the vision and everything that's on our plates, it's real easy to lose sight of that, isn't it? It's real easy to lose sight of hope. Man, 2020 has been an awful year. I'm allowed to say that, right? I mean, I don't think I'll get disagreement in here on that. The Bible says that we are to give things in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. So I think we can call a spade a spade. 2020 is trash. Let's get rid of it, right? But everything, everything is constantly changing. Everything that was routine and simple now requires extra thought, extra planning, asking, is this okay? Is this wise? Is this prudent? We got to set this up and do this. Like so much extra thought and intention is for everything. Parents, your world has just been literally thrown upside down this year. Your kid's in school and out of school and in, in, in service and out of service and all this. It's just you don't have a footing to sit on. And by the way, this hasn't been lost on children at all. Uh, Gemma, our, our nine-year-old, we, we decided uh, to keep her home this year just so she could have a consistent experience. And so wanting to get her peer interaction, she loves soccer, so we signed her up for soccer. Soccer got canceled the whole season. So we're like, well, she really likes gymnastics. Let's sign her up for gymnastics. She can do that. Well, because of COVID, they had to cap the limit of the number of kids who can be in there once. So she's been on a waiting list, and that got canceled. So then she was excited to be in FBN Kids here again and was real excited about the Christmas program, and then it got canceled. And so the last sort of hope for her was we had joined up with a few families in our neighborhood that are keeping their kids home this year, and they were working with one of the college students to put on a, a, a sort of a neighborhood Christmas program. Uh, that the parents would be invited to, and that student's grandma died, and she had to fly home, and that got canceled. 
And so I got home that day and I found Gemma in her bedroom just crying. And I was like, what are you crying about? And she said, dad, literally everything gets canceled this year. And that's when it hit me, man, they're not immune to this either. And it hits them too. Everything is changing. And can I, can I just be honest this morning? I'm just tired. I'm just tired. I'm just tired uh, all the time. And I have to believe I'm not alone. But I also know this, that 2020 isn't over. And believe it or not, I think, I'm actually optimistic today because I think we have a pretty cool opportunity presented to us. Because my prayer for for me, my prayer for my family, my prayer for FBN, for Advent this year is simply that we would just fight back. That we'd fight back against anything the enemy would use to bring us down. That we'd fight back against anything that would distract us from what God is up to in this time of life. That we'd fight back against our sinful nature that wants to take every bad situation and make it worse. And what I want us to fight back with is hope. Because we can That is a tool that Jesus has given us that is ever present. And there's three ways I'm going to suggest that we do so to close this time out this morning. And number one is simply this. I want us to fight back with hope by remembering the promises of God. Just remember the promises we have with God. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says this. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. It's an amazing promise that we can cling to and hold to. Now, I want you to take that and stack on top of it Hebrews 13 that says, God will never leave us or forsake us. Right? And then I want you to stack on top of that 2 Corinthians 12 that says that His grace is sufficient for us, that His power is made perfect in our weakness. Then I want you to stack on top of that Philippians chapter 1 that He who began a good work in us will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And stack on top of that James chapter 1 that God promises to even use trials and suffering to do a perfect and complete work in your life. Now, I've been pretty overt this morning about this year not being the best, and I think it's okay for us to recognize that. But I don't think it's okay for us to leave it at that. Because what the Bible promises is this. That all over 2020, God has been dropping mustard seeds in the ground. And I don't know what they are, and I don't know where they are, but I know one thing. They will be absolutely awesome because God doesn't do insignificant. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us that all the promises that we have from God are yes in Christ Jesus. That we know they are true because of him. And so there's not a single event, there's not a single circumstance in life that changes what your God has promised you. And so I want you to cling to those promises and you will have a persistent and abundant hope. Second thing, I want us to fight back by sowing our own seeds of hope. I've said this before this year, but I need to keep reminding myself, so I'm going to keep reminding you, no matter how different, no matter how strange, no matter how unprecedented this year gets, Nothing, and I want you to hear that word, nothing has changed about who we've been called to be in Christ Jesus and what we've been called to do for Christ Jesus. Nothing. In fact, nothing of highest importance has changed at all. You get that, right? God is still on his throne. Jesus is still sitting at the right hand of the Father until all his enemies are put under his feet. His grace is still sufficient, not just for all our sins, but all our sufferings. 
He still came on a mission to save us, and he's still coming again. And through his death and resurrection, we can be redeemed. And so in that, Jesus has bought for us an eternal hope and a future that is untouchable and undefeated. That means we as his followers can be people of persistent hope no matter what comes our way. And so as we fight back against the curse and the darkness and against the angst of this year, we fight back by sowing seeds of hope. There's many ways that you can do this. And many of you already filled out shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child. I want you to know what that was. That was sowing seeds of hope all around the world. You can invite someone to join us here for services. You can actually send them. These are all online. Now you send them videos and ask them to talk with you about them later. You can invite them to join you online. You can find ways to thank medical workers and first responders for all that they've been doing this year. You can send encouraging notes to people that you know that are kind of hunkering down and hiding from this thing. You can share your faith and then go ahead and share it again and then go ahead and share it again and again and again, right? There are all kinds of ways that you can sow seeds of hope. We have some opportunities for you here. We have a community dinner on December 19th that there are going to be people from this church gather together and cook meals for this neighborhood, the neighborhood that God has put us in. At the end of the third service today, we're going to go out and we're going to pass out flyers, leave them on, on mailboxes and doors, inviting them to call in and, and, and request a meal be made for them for Christmas. And then there's going to be a group that come and cooks it on the 19th and delivers them. That is chance after chance or chance for us to sow seeds of hope right here. We also have in the back, by the sound booth on the tree, a whole new batch of children to sponsor from Paleywala. And for just over a dollar a day, you can provide food and school supplies and education, hygiene training, and more. You can correspond with your child, write letters back and forth, and share your faith and hope in Jesus with them. And we've said this before, but our consistent prayer as, as FBN, as World Gospels, Faith Wesleyan, as we've teamed up to help this village, our consistent prayer is that the praise of Jesus would consume that village. And that will happen through God's grace. It will happen through us planting mustard seeds of truth and hope and love and mercy along the way and then watching as God grows them. All those examples, you can take one, you can make your own. Here's what I'm telling you. Find a way this week, not just to cling to hope, but to spread it. Find a way to spread hope. And then lastly, I think we fight back with hope by simply surrendering. Now, I know surrender is not something that you immediately associate with hope. But I assure you this works. I was thinking back this week that we as a people have tried it all in 2020. We are facing what has been described as the crisis of our generation, right? If we live long enough and Jesus doesn't come back soon enough, this year will be in history books. Same way uh, 1918 was in others, right? They will, we will read about this in our future lives, right? And so um, we've tried it all in the face of the press of our generation, the crisis of our generation. We have tried fear. We have tried skepticism. We have tried blame. We have tried division. We've tried optimism. We've tried pessimism. We've tried putting our faith in science. We've tried belittling science. We've tried conspiracy theories. We've tried turning on each other and more. You know what we haven't tried yet? Surrender. We haven't tried surrendering to the good and sovereign rule of our gracious God and King. We haven't tried posturing ourselves peacefully and submissively in a position of trust, trusting that the same one who sowed the mustard seed of Advent is still sowing seeds today. Trusting that he has not abdicated his throne. 
that he is still in control. And so I, you know what that means? That means I don't need to figure everything out. That means I don't need to share every opinion I have. It means I don't need to form an opinion on everything out there. It means I don't need an explanation to everything I don't understand. Because I trust my shepherd. And so in that posture of surrender, what we can do is we can just lay down our arms. Stop being skeptical of each other. And start sowing seeds of hope. We can choose to be enamored by the God who came for us to rescue us. We can choose hope, not in some cheesy, unattainable, ineffective, self-help kind of way. We can choose hope because that's exactly what Jesus made possible for us. So FBN, I want us to be a church of hope this season. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we needed a Savior and we had no way out and we had no, no one who could rescue us but you, you came. You came in a small, insignificant way to a small, insignificant family, to a small, insignificant town, and it was a mustard seed that has exploded into a kingdom that has touched every corner of this earth. And it's how you established your kingdom. It's how you still work today. And so even as we have a hard time rest, recognizing what seed you are sowing today, we can know and hope and trust and be assured that you still are and that you don't do insignificant. Father, as we come to the communion table as a church, Lord, I pray that you would, you would meet us here. God, you would meet us as, as we take this meal that recognizes the sacrifice and suffering that Jesus paid on our behalf that wouldn't be possible without Advent. Lord, I pray that you would get the glory from this that we would dine with you, that we would experience you, that we'd leave this place with a deeper connection with you. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.